Now, presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Ben Pierce. Good morning, Generation Church. How are you today? You guys excited about part two of our financial series, Momentum? Well, we started last week with this new series called Momentum. It's about how to gain momentum in our finances. And um, I just want to kind of set your mind at ease a little bit before we get into this. This is not a series about uh, you giving money. This is a series about you getting tools on how to manage your money. Uh, We're not going to do a momentum offering at the end of this series. It's not going to be the most momentous offering ever uh, or anything like that. This is not about you giving so you can release the clutch on your purse, ladies. Men, you can take your wallet out of your sock and put it back in your back pocket. This is not trying to get into your bank account. This is trying to help you get godly principles on how to manage your money. Because you can't really truly give and impact the kingdom of God if you haven't figured out how to handle what God has already given you uh, stewardship over, management over. And so I want you to be at ease through this series. It's, um, it's for your benefit. It is not because we're trying to do a build out next door. All of those things are going exactly as they should. I just want to help us. I want to help us get some things. You know, there's some things that I wish that somebody had taught me when I first got married to Melissa. And we got out and, you know, when I was in college and I had 15000 thousand dollars worth of credit card debt and almost thirty thousand dollars worth of student loans and all those kind of things i wish somebody had taught me a few of these principles so i encourage you just relax and um, and i believe god's going to help us today uh, as as it relates to getting some momentum in our finances so i want to welcome you can we welcome all those joining us by video as well so glad you guys have tuned in I want to invite you to be a part of the service live and in person right here at Generation Church. So when I started last week with this series, Momentum, we talked about a new normal. You know, there's, there's a normal way of doing things in our finances, but there's a new normal that God has established for us. How many of you guys have a, a mortgage on your house? Is that normal? Yeah, it's normal. Everybody has a house mortgage. How many of you guys have a car note? You go buy your car, you just, you know, now you can do like 87 months on your car note. You know, pretty soon it's like 18 years worth of paying your car note down at $1,700 a month. How many of you guys have student loans that have been hanging around for 30 years? It's like a small child that won't leave. It just never grows up. The child's name is Sally May. You just can't seem to get rid of Sally. She's been around forever. You know, that's the financial norm of our society. It's just how we operate. But in God's world, in in the kingdom of God, it's not supposed to be that way. See, there's a normal that the world follows, but then there's God's normal as it relates to finances. He is the owner of a cattle on a thousand hill, as the scripture says, and he also owns the hills as well. He owns everything. And so God gives us things to, to manage in our lives, resources to manage in our lives. And so often we get caught in the world's way of managing those resources and we begin to leverage OPM, other people's money. Come on. We begin to leverage other people's money at eight and a half percent interest and and the finance people that Melissa went to college and learned from her professors that were all broke. Uh, That's about as useful as a shop teacher with no fingers, a broke finance professor. 
All the finance people tell you you got to leverage other people's money, that you got to you got to um, you know get in debt in order to get out of debt, and in order to have the things that you want, you got to to put all this stuff. It's the normal of society, but God says that we are a royal priesthood. First Peter two nine, a, a holy nation, a, a peculiar people that that we don't march to the same drum that the world marches to, but but God has designed for us a system based on trust in Him, not trust in the LIBOR or trust in the Almighty Dollar, that we would trust in God with our finances. And I want to help you go against the grain. I want to help you go against the normal of this society and be in God's normal. So last week we talked about getting out of the normal, that there is a new normal. This week I want to talk to you about seven. The title of this message is called Seven. It's years of supply and years of savings. What you need to get out of this is that God's system is about saving. You know, it's not normal in, in the world to save. It's normal to act like we save, but we only save so we can just spend it. It's not normal in the world system to, to lay up for your children and your children's children and, and, and leave an inheritance and leave a legacy. In our society today, we end up as children having to take care of our parents so often. And in our society today, the normal is, is that Social Security, which is not going to be there, by the way, is supposed to take care of us. That's the world system and the world's way, but God's way is that we would leave a legacy. God's way is that we would save. And, and I would even take it a step further that, that we do need to save, but we also need to invest. That the things that we do put aside, that we invest them so that they have earnings and growth. The parable of the talents, God gave them talents. He gave them money to deal with. And they went out and they turned that money around into an investment. Now, the one talent servant, he didn't do that. He just saved it. God didn't give it to him just to save. Savings is a start, but really our savings should lean right into an investment, that we would leave something worthwhile for our kids, that, that we would be able to save money to, to be able to handle the things that happen in life, the catastrophic financial events that, that if they don't happen to us, they're going to happen to somebody that we know. And there's opportunity as we approach these last days before the, the Lord Jesus comes back. There are opportunities to meet people's needs and, and be Jesus to the world and how we relate to them, how we're able to minister to them. Jesus talked about giving a cup of cold water. It's a very simple idea, but the, the message behind that is that we as the, the children of God are able to give to those who do not have. So I started thinking about this. I'm going to talk about Joseph today. We don't know Joseph's story. Joseph was sold into prison by his brothers. He found himself in Egypt. Egypt is a type and a shadow or a symbol, if you will, of the world and the world system. And in that uh, Egyptian captivity, he found himself in prison. And he found himself migrating from the prison all the way to the palace because he had the ability to interpret dreams. As a child of God, God had given him the ability to see and to understand what the season was. And so Pharaoh had this dream. We'll get into it and read it in a minute. But Pharaoh had this dream. And in that dream, there were two seasons of seven. There was a season of harvest, a season of plenty. It was seven years long. And then there was going to be a season of famine that was seven years long. As I began to think about this idea of seven as it relates to our savings and our investments, I, I see that seven is something that comes through, this number comes through the scripture all over the place. 
Seven, numerically, according to the Bible, seven is the number of completion. It's, it's a, a, a complete number. You know, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and he rested on the seventh, and the seventh encapsulated everything that he had done. As I look through scripture, this idea of seven, it, it continually pops up place and place and place and place and place again. When I think about as we look at the last days approaching, you don't have to go too far, watch too many news programs to figure out that we live in probably the generation that is going to usher in the return of Jesus. As I began to look around and, and I began to think about this idea of what God does in this numerical value of sevens, I look at the last seven years of humanity, the, the tribulation time period, those seven years of tribulation. Scripture talks about that as we approach those last days that the world will feel the pains of birth, birth pains, labor pains. They're cyclical. So this whole idea of, of God doing things in sevens, it's, it means something to us. Melissa and I were at a pastor's conference this week, and we're doing the seven-minute workout. Come on, seven minutes of this, jumping jacks, all that kind of stuff. Seven. If you just do seven minutes of workout every single day, you'll be buff. Come on. Seven. You know, as it relates to our savings, I started to think about Melissa and I, and I thought, what did our savings look like in the seven years after we got married? We got married in 2001. We launched Generation Church in 2008. There were seven years from the time we got married until the time that we launched this church. So I went back and I looked at our finances and said, how much money did we earn in those seven years? Now, we had a couple of years where uh, we didn't earn anything. We earned negative. How many of you guys ever earned negative? <laughs> I was on a first name basis with the Internal Revenue Service. I was like, hey, Howard, come on in. You want some coffee? We didn't earn anything in the first few years, but then a couple of years as we got into it, we started to put the principles of God to work in our lives. We started to see that the Lord was giving us some momentum. So I looked it up and I kind of calculated it up. And in seven years from the time we got married until the time we started this church, we earned $922,000, almost a million dollars. And I thought, wow, that's not too bad for a couple of kids. And then I started thinking about, well, how much did I save in that seven years? If Joseph saved seven years in Egypt... How much did we save in that seven years? And then I, I started to get, you know, a little sick to my stomach, threw up in my mouth a little bit, and I thought, oh, oh, no. We should have saved, if we were just saving 10%, you know, we should have saved $92,000. How many of you guys would like to have $92,000 in the bank? If we'd saved 20%, which is what Joseph did, we would have had $184,000 in the bank in those first seven years. That's a lot of money to start a church with. We didn't do too bad. We saved up $55,000, and that money is what we started this church with. But I realized that there was a lot more that we could have been doing. And, and I realized that there are some areas in our own financial stewardship that we have growth in, that we have failed in some areas. And I think it's kind of the testimony of just life. We kind of get in these places. We know what God's word says. It's very simple principles, but very difficult to implement. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a finance major or anything like that to understand the principles of how to operate money God's way. But to implement that takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of planning. So what if we, we had saved for seven years? And then I started thinking to myself, 
what am I going to do in the next seven years? Does this resonate with anybody? Like, I, I encourage you to go back and, and look at your finances and say, what did I make over the past seven years? And what if I had saved? And then I encourage you to transition that around and, and come back and say, you know, what am I going to do with the next seven years? You know, that our past would be an indicator of our future. Isn't that typically how it works? Like you look at your past, and unless you change something, that's going to tell you exactly what your next seven years are going to be. And I believe that God wants to help us change some things in our lives. As we approach these last days, as we're thinking about this, the, the, there's a one-world economy. There's a one-world financial system that's coming. There's a one-world government that's coming. You see all of these things prophetically already beginning to take place in our society. And one of those issues is this one-world financial system. See, it's imperative on us that we get off of that financial system and we get into God's financial system. As the birth pains come heavier and heavier and heavier, we need to begin to disconnect ourselves from that as diligently as we can. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2, it says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape, specifically talking about the seven-year tribulation. Verse 4, But you, brethren, you're not in the darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. What's he saying there? He's saying, we got to be ready. we got to be prepared. We've got to have our finances in order as this last day approaches. You know, as downturns come, we should not be affected. As the world economies go crazy, we should be the ones who stand in solidarity, and we should be the ones who stand in peace, and we should be the ones who are not able to feel the effects of that. I grew up on a 100-acre farm in Tennessee. My great-grandfather... Don Rominger is his name, was an orphan. And this landowner took him in. The guy owned thousands of acres. He took my orphan great-grandfather in, and he gave him a home, and my great-grandfather worked the land for him, became a son to him, really. And my great-grandfather's adoptive father had all these kids that they eventually moved off. They went to the cities. They did their kind of things. And, and my great-grandfather stayed with this big landowner, and when it was all said and done, this landowner gave my grandfather the heart of the farm, the 100-acre heart of the farm. And so my grandparents grew up during the Great Depression. And to talk to my great aunt, uh, uncles and aunts and my grandmother and grandfather, those folks, they talk about the Great Depression like it never even happened. Never even happened. They never even felt the effects of it because they were not tied into the system of the world. They were tied into more of a, a godly system. They were reliant on him as a source. They weren't rely, relying on the stock market or those kind of things. And I think it's a, it's a picture of what God wants us to be as his kids, that we wouldn't rely on the system of the world and the entanglements of the world, but that we would trust and rely on him. And I believe that as his children, when things like a depression comes, that we should be the ones who do not even feel the pressure of that. That we would gain some financial momentum in our lives and that as the downturns come, we would not be affected, but we would be protected. You know, we're not the only ones that face 
these kind of challenges in life. You look throughout scripture, people faced how to handle their money time and time again. There are good stewards, there are bad stewards, there are people who wasted goods, there are people who were rebuked by their masters, put out by their masters. We're not the only ones that deal with that. You're not the only ones that deal with those kind of things. And, and my hope is that during this message that you don't feel condemned, but that you feel inspired. Because I've made just as many mistakes as anybody. But you know the great thing about God is you can start right where you are today. And you begin to apply, apply the principles of God today. And the wind of God begins to blow in your sails. And you can begin to gain some momentum in your life. There's a lot of things out of the story of Joseph that I think we can unpack in this. So I want to encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river, and suddenly there came out of the river seven cows, and they were looking fine and fat. They had been fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river. They were ugly and they were gaunt. They were thugs. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly thug cows ate the seven fat, fine-looking cows. So Pharaoh awoke and he slept and he dreamed another dream a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk. They were plump and good. And then behold, the, the seven thin heads, they were blotted by the east wind. They sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads, they devoured the seven plump heads of grain. And so Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was not one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Underline in your Bible that he called all of the wise men. See, Pharaoh called for all the wise people, but they could not interpret what was happening. They could not see the seasons that were upon them. See, part of the benefit of being a child of God is that we have the ability to see the seasons, to understand if we take a minute and discern the times, we can see what God is doing, that there is wisdom from heaven that resides inside of us. And I just encourage you that you allow the wisdom of God to operate in your finances. There's something to be said about operating in God's wisdom. If you're following along in your fill-ins as we unpack this, your first fill-in is, is that wise people save money. Wise people save money. And I would take it a step further. They also invest what they save. Wise people save money, and they're smart about how they invest it. Ecclesiastes 11.2, it talks about uh, to diversify your finances seven ways, and yes, even eight ways that you would invest and diversify the resources that God has given you. Wise people save money. There was nobody wise in Egypt. None of the magicians, none of the people, none of the financiers, none of the, the so-called wise people could interpret what God was trying to speak. You know, as I think about this and and um, unpack this, I think most of us kind of already know. We, we get a sense of where the economy is. But it's just easy to get caught up in, in just the flow of the world's normal. How many of you guys felt the pressure of 2008? How many of you guys still feel the pressure of 2008? How many of you guys would say yes to this statement? 
the pressure of 2008 is starting to turn, change a little bit, starting to turn a little bit. Like it feels like the economy is starting to begin to churn a little bit. You know what happens in that is as we feel the pressure of that begin to release and the wheels of the economy begin to churn and turn and there begins to be some forward progression, what do we end up doing? It's time to get a new car. Come on. I got to trade my house in for another one. I need to do this. Well, if I do this now, if I sell it now, because there's 24% gain in the housing market last uh, year, and if I sell it now, I could make a little money. I could buy this one on the river and blah, 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 blah. We start to feel things change a little bit, and this is what the world does. The world says, oh, the economy's back. Let's break out our credit cards. But see, God's people operate in wisdom when the economy begins to change and we begin to enter back into a season of harvest. God's people don't spend, God's people save. See, if you're feeling the pressure right now to, to begin to spend again, I encourage you. Time is coming where the harvest is going to be gone again. Life is just cyclical. This idea of sevens, it shows up all the time. If you look at 2008, there was a major economic crash and downturn. We were the number two hardest hit housing economy in the nation just behind Las Vegas, Nevada. If you back up seven years prior to that, there was another downturn, September 11th, almost to the day, September 2001, September 2008, that our economy had major crashes in it. And I'm just here to tell you that those things are going to continue to happen. So as you feel the wheels of the economy begin to turn again, begin to save because wise people save. As Pharaoh heard the interpretation, he had the chance to say yes or no to the wisdom. Joseph interpreted the dream and said, listen, these seven cows that are plump, they're going to be seven years of harvest for you. And these seven cows that are gaunt, that eat the seven plump cows, those are seven years of famine. And what he's really saying is, is that the famine is going to be so bad that you don't even see the, re the remains of the harvest years, that it would completely overshadow it and overtake it. How do you save money? You know, what, what happens is how do you get to this? What's the, the how-to? What's the practical part of that? You, you've got to decide to follow God's wisdom. It's not rocket science. It's easy. It's simple, very simple principles, but difficult to do. And just like Pharaoh said yes, you have to say yes. You have to get to a place with your family where you just say, listen, it's just time to save. I hear people say things like, I'm just trusting God. I don't save money because I'm trusting God to take care of me. No, what you're really doing is, is you're using God as an excuse to fund your desires. Come on. Because if you want to use your faith for God to take care of you, use your faith for God to help you save. Use your faith for God to help you invest that. God never designed for you to live by faith like that and write faith checks. Come on, that's a ditch. Just as bad as it is to be in a poverty mentality, it's in uh, the same type of error to be in this overtly prosperity mentality that says, I don't have to have stewardship. I just want prosperity with no stewardship, with no redemptive purpose. It's a ditch. The principles of the kingdom of God are that we would be like Proverbs chapter 6 says, go to the ant. That the ant works during some of the ant is always carrying things down into that hole, wherever that goes. 
You know, there's like a school bus buried down there, and all the ants are dancing. You ever see the movie? Like a whole city down there. We would be diligent with our, our finances. Wise people save money. Proverbs 21, 20, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. Foolish man devours all that he has. Genesis 41 and 29, skip down. Verse 29, it says, Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will also arise, and all of the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land so that the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine that follows it, for it will be very severe. Verse 32 And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God. God will surely bring it to pass. Listen, I'm not here to scare you, but I do want to prepare you. I want to help you. I want to help you prepare. There's an article on the screen behind me from Forbes magazine. Love it. It says, happy birthday, fifth birthday to the bull market. Where do we go from here? We've had five years of a bull market. We've had five years of growth. The Dow Industrial Average is 16,000 and something. Highest it's ever been. Where do you go from there? I can tell you. It's only had, it only has one place to go. That's down. So we've got to be wise with our finances. It is absolutely necessary to save money, number two on your fill-ins. It's necessary. It's coming. The pains of labor, those financial pains, they're coming. They are cyclical. This next graph shows the Dow Industrial Average graph, and you see these arrows are about every seven years. For the past 28 years, we've seen these little blips. In these seven-year intervals. Now, listen to me. I'm not trying to make a doctrine on sevens, but what I am trying to do is help you see that there's cyclical nature to finances and that right now in our current uh, financial scenario on a, on a seven-year basis, we're beginning to see something. I don't know if it's prophetic and I don't know if it's pathetic. I don't know what it is, but we can know the seasons of these. And there's a season that we're following right now. And so this uh, third one is... 2001, September of 2001, huge economic crash. The second one is September 2008, and then the graph goes on to where we are. There's only one place for that to go. So what are we going to do? It's absolutely necessary. When that thing drops again, your house value disappears again, your 401k value disappears again, things begin to go haywire again. Where are we going to be? We need to learn from what we've seen in the past so that we can prepare and follow the seasons and we can, we can be used of God efficiently and effectively. Imagine for a second if the people of God were paying attention to the principles of God and we were putting them to use in our life. Imagine the ministry opportunities if we had been better prepared in 2001, if we'd been better prepared in 2008. There's a church in... Uh, New York City called Times Square Church. About two weeks before September 11th happened, 
the pastor who's now gone on to be with the Lord had a dream. And they started making peanut butter sandwiches because the Lord began to speak to him because he was seeing the season. And they were making thousands of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They had no idea why they were making them. Thousands of them. They just kept making thousands of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And then Tuesday morning, September 11th, planes flew into the World Trade Center. And the light bulb came on. This is why we've been making thousands of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Because there are thousands of people digging our relatives and families out of the rubble. And they gave those thousands of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, tens of thousands of them, to those workers. See, God will use you effectively if you'll just listen. If you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you step out into something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you'll pay attention to the season that you live in. The dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God. Don't be affected. Be protected. You know, savings protects your family. It protects you. When you begin to put stores of things aside, when the world economies crash, you have protection from that. If Divorce is the number one killer of marriages. In, I'm sorry, if money problems are the number one um, killer of marriages in America, then not having money problems kills divorce. It protects family. It, it protects kids. We got to get out of this system. Pay attention to the warning signs. How do you set up for savings? You know, a system only produces what it was designed to produce. My circulatory system will never digest a Five Guys cheeseburger. But my digestive system will. But my circulatory system is not designed to do that. It's designed to transport those nutrients to my body, what few are in that cheeseburger. And it's designed to take the waste, which are many, from that cheeseburger back out of my body. A system only produces what it was designed to produce. And your finances are a system. How you have designed them is only going to produce what you have designed them to produce. So if you have not designed your financial system to follow the wisdom of God, if you've not uh, designed your financial system to save, you're never going to save. You're never going to end up at the end of the month with a thousand extra bucks and say, hmm, I'm going to put that in savings. It just doesn't work that way. You have to spend your money on paper first. You have to save first. You, you have to honor God first, pay yourself first, and then pay your bills. You know, the interesting thing about saving first is if you need it, you can always take it out. But once you send that money off to Macy's, they don't give it back. They're stingy with it. They keep it. It doesn't matter if your light bill gets out of hand and you don't have electricity. They don't care. But if you take that money and you put the system together where you save it first and you need it, you can go to it. I encourage you as you do your savings, set your savings up in an account with an institution that is different from your operating checking. You know, set up a money market for like, you know, a negative half a percent of interest because there's no interest left. Money's free, by the way. Did y'all know that? No interest anymore unless you're paying it. 
Set up a money market account with Capital One or, or ING or one of these accounts and send that money over so that it takes three days to get it. Because in those three days when you've lost your mind about that new car you want to buy, hopefully three nights of sleep will help you get it back, your wits about you. Get it, get it out of your hands and accessible. That accessibility where it's so easy to get a hold of it, it's part of the reason why we struggle. It's a, it's a flawed system of savings. You've got to set the system up right. Number three, money, saving money is a decision. Genesis 41 and 33 says, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. He decided to do it. You know, Pharaoh didn't have to follow Joseph's advice about saving for seven years because, you know, Joseph was like, dude, we need to save 20%, one-fifth of all the goods. And Pharaoh could have been just like most of us are. 20%, there's no way, dude. You're crazy. Most of us are probably sitting here today saying, how can I save 20%? I can't pay my bills. You save 20% because you set the system up to save 20%. And then you make everything else conform to that. And it does. When you follow God's principles, it just works that way. It may not work out on paper, but if you put it in that account, it works out in real life. You have to have a decision to do that. Saving money is a decision. It's got to be something inside of you that you say, this is what I got to do. I see the things that are coming, and I am deciding to protect my family. Set yourself up for success. Verse 34, let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth or 20% of the produce of the land. He set up a system. Verse 35, and let them gather, underline that, all the food of those good years that are coming, and let them store, underline that, up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. They gathered, they stored, and they kept. Savings accounts don't work unless you keep what you save. That's why you need to get it out of your operating accounts. Get it into another institution where it takes three days to get a wire transfer. We have to budget. Set your system up to budget. Zig Ziglar says, if you consistently aim at nothing, you're going to consistently hit nothing. And if you don't set your money up to hit something, you're just going to continually hit nothing with it. If you don't set your finances up to to get ahead, to save, to invest, it's never going to happen. You know, if you take $100 a month and you put it in a decent IRA, by the time you retire at 70 years old, that $100 a month has turned into $1.176 million. $100 a month turns into over a million dollars at just a normal interest rate. I'm not a financial advisor. I wasn't very good in math as I was working through my chemistry degree, but that sounds like a good deal to me. Simple. Systems. Verse 36, and then that food that they saved shall be a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during famine. Listen, guys, that graph is going to fall again. Where are you going to be? Let's learn from what we learned from or what we experienced in the past two crashes. Number four, and the last one, saving money protects your family. Saving and investing your money wisely protects your family. Genesis 45, verse 7, Joseph said this, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, talking to his brothers and his dad. 
his family. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here because they sold him into slavery. It wasn't you that sent me here because you sold me into slavery, but God. And he has made to me a father to Pharaoh and a lord to all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry for you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me and your children and your children's children and flocks and herds and all that you have. Verse 11, and there I will provide for you lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for there are still five years of famine left. Joseph was not only providing for himself and for the nation of Egypt and for the surrounding nations, he was protecting his family. It was God's design and plan that as financial stewards, that we don't just do it for us, but there's a redemptive purpose in it. You know, imagine how it impacts somebody when the world is falling apart. We have a repeat of 2008 and everybody's homes are in foreclosure and everybody's jobs are gone and everybody's having a hard time just feeding their family. Imagine what testimony it is to people who do not have Jesus when they see those who have Jesus also have some finances. It's a testimony. And when they come to you and say, dude, how come you're not about to turn your SUV on in the garage or the house that just got foreclosed and drink in all that carbon monoxide? What's wrong with you? How come you're not on the edge like everybody else? How come you have peace and I have turmoil? It's a testimony to people. It's the way God designed it to be. Don't be affected. Be protected. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 in the Living Bible. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy people. <laughs> Love that. Uh, it could have been really good if it said bums, you know, like you lazy bums. Actually, one version says you lazy bones. I thought that was good. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy people. Learn from their ways and be wise. For though they have no king to make them work... Yet they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, all you do is sleep. When will you wake up? Let me sleep a little longer. Sure, just a little more. And as you sleep, poverty creeps upon you like a robber and destroys you. And want, it attacks you in full armor. Imagine if you just started doing a little bit here and there you set your systems up. Imagine what God could do with you. Imagine if the 2.1 billion people on the planet that call themselves children of God began to put the principles of God to work in their life. And the other 6 billion people on the planet began to see, wow, the principles of God, they're working. Began to become a ministry tool to people. We began to evangelize we begin to go against the grain and we begin to operate as God designed us to operate. Our families are protected. Our lives are protected. Imagine what we could do in our city. Imagine all the people that we could minister to, all the people that we could impact in their lives. We can do that. You just have to make the decision. You just have to make the choice. 
Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, honor you today. Thank you, Lord, for the principles of the word of God that operate in our lives. Father, I pray today that as we hear your word, that it would shine light into our lives. Father, I pray today just as Pharaoh had a decision to make it a choice to make, God, that we would, we would make the same choice, the same decision. I pray today, Father, that we would be the people that you've called us and created us to be, that we would say no to the system of the world and yes to God's system, that we would no longer be slaves to the lender. God, we would be truly free. Jesus, if you've set us free spiritually, you've also set us free financially. So I pray that we wouldn't entangle ourselves again in bondage. That we would put our line in the sand today, drive our stake in the ground. We would make a statement with our lives. And we would start from this point. No matter how difficult it seems or how foreboding it feels, that we would trust you. Because really that's what money comes down to. It's all about trust. We either trust in the world system to provide for us, which is failing, or we trust in your system. If you're here today and you know that you have not been as diligent with your savings as you should, Today, God is just stirring in your heart that it's time to to make a change. The time is short. The season is upon us. The dream has been interpreted. Today, God's tugging on your heart, and you just want to make a commitment to him. You want to commit to him and to your family that you're going to put those principles to work. If that's you, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Secondly, you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus. All of these financial principles and things that I'm talking about, they still work if you apply them. But the most important thing is not to make a decision to save. The most important thing is to make a decision to let Jesus come and be the Lord of your life save all the money in the world, but at the end, if you don't have a relationship with God, it's all lost. The world system says that you can make it on your own. The world system says that you don't need God, that you don't need a relationship with Him. But you have a decision to make. Do you want to follow what the world says? Or do you want to follow the tug on your heart today? So if you're here today and God's just tugging on your heart, like on the inside of you, you have this internal conversations that's going on and says, man, I just want to know, God, I just want to know if this is real or not. But then something on the other side of you is saying, oh, this is kind of crazy. If you're having that back and forth battle, that's, that's God trying to draw you. I'm not here to answer all your questions. God will do that in time. I'm just here to facilitate your response to that tugging on your heart. closed, every head bowed. If God's tugging on your heart today, I want to pray for you. Would you slip your hand up? Thank you, sir. 
house today. You need a relationship with God. Maybe you've had religion. But you need to hear the voice of a loving Heavenly Father today. Maybe you're a little intimidated to lift your hand. I get it. You just want to look up at me, make eye contact. That works just as well. One last time as I look across the room. Anybody want to join this brave man? Scripture says this, that if you can say with your mouth the things that you're believing and feeling in your heart, if you can confess those things that your heart opens up and you invite God to come and change you from the inside out. And so I want to help you say with words the things that you're feeling inside. It's a simple prayer. I ask you to pray it and believe it with all of your heart. And as you do that, you say a very natural prayer. Something supernatural begins to happen in your life with me. Say, Father God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I ask you to forgive me of my mistakes and renew me from the inside out. Give me a purpose and a destiny in these last days. And I thank you for welcome my brother into the kingdom.